Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. So last week, you got a taste of the apocalypse genre in parts of Ezekiel. And now in Daniel, we have full-fledged apocalypse. It is the only entire book of Apocalypse in the Old Testament, which pairs well with Revelation, the only full book of Apocalypse in the New Testament. And Apocalypse is a genre where revelation from God is given to humans through an otherworldly being. And the vision encompasses a heavenly world and a coming judgment. So let's go over some basics about the book of Daniel. As far as the timing, it is set in the 6th century um, when the Jewish people were exiled in Babylon. However, it's likely written in the 2nd century under the Seleucids because of some very specific references to Antiochus Epiphanes. And um, so this potential contrast in, in setting and the time that it was written raises some interesting possibilities about perhaps Daniel was written in part as a commentary on the current rulers by using past rulers in order to to make those comments that otherwise would have have been very dangerous. Um, It's also possible that these stories started back in the 6th century and were written down in the 2nd century, so not exactly sure. As far as the language... Daniel is interesting because it is written not only in Hebrew, which most of the Old Testament was written in, but also in Aramaic. So chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, and then the first chapter and the last chapters are written in Hebrew. As far as position within the Bible, Daniel is interesting because it is in a different place and can be categorized differently in the Hebrew Bible compared to the Christian Old Testament. So in the Hebrew Bible, there are three main chunks. There's the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. And Daniel is not in the prophets, where you might expect, but actually in the writings. So it is after Esther, which it shares a lot of features with Esther um, because of the court setting, um, and before Ezra and Nehemiah. However, in the Christian Old Testament, Daniel is firmly in the prophets, following Ezekiel and before Hosea. So um, there are a lot of there's a lot of speculation about why Daniel is placed in the writings in the Hebrew Bible versus the prophets in the Christian Old Testament. And so it could have been due to the late writing of Daniel that it was placed later in the Hebrew Bible. It also could be because of all of the confusing and mystical language of the apocalypse in Daniel 
that it was placed in the writings where it would be studied, but not necessarily read aloud in worship services. Um, whereas in Christianity, Daniel is firmly considered a prophet because Daniel speaks to the Messiah, the coming Messiah, and we see prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. And so that prophetic nature is really emphasized in our Christian tradition. As for the structure of Daniel, it has a ring composition, um, which is also called a chiastic structure. So you can see up here, the first chapter is an introduction, and then there's a vision of four kingdoms, followed by a martyr legend, which is the fiery furnace. Then there are two chapters of royal messages, followed by another martyr legend, a vision of four kingdoms, and then ending with a series of visions that Daniel has. And the reason that I point that out is that this type of ring composition highlights what happens in the middle of the ring. So in this case, these royal messages that you see. And so what is the main point of the royal messages? That the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals, and he gives it to whom he wills. So that, that sense of God being sovereign over the kingdom of mortals is something that you'll see throughout the book of Daniel. God's sovereignty over the rulers, that the rulers think that they're in charge, but that it is really God who is in charge over any of the rulers. Okay. So some other themes of Daniel. So we have God's sovereignty. We also see God's faithfulness to those who obey him, which um, ties into a theme that you've been hearing about throughout the entire Old Testament and throughout the Bible, that God makes a way out of no way. And then the third theme are these strong messianic images. So we see that there's a coming kingdom of God that is going to stand forever. And we see the resurrection of all people. All right, so now we're going to step through each of these different sections. So beginning with chapter 1, the introduction. So we begin under the kingship of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and um, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. So the conquering Babylonian king... He goes in and takes the best vessels from the temple of God. Remember that, because that's going to come back in a few chapters. And then he asks for noble young men who can be trained up to be part of the Babylonian court. So he asks for young men who are without blemish, goodly in appearance, discerning in all wisdom, and possessing knowledge and understanding matters, who also have the strength to serve in the king's palace. So this is a very high bar for these young men. And we learn about four of them. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may have been expecting to hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, um, which are the Babylonian names that are given to them in the court. And Daniel also has a Babylonian name, which is Belteshazzar. So Daniel is a bit of a ringleader here in this group. 
and he requests that he not defile himself with the king's food. So we can presume from that that maybe the king's food had some prohibited meats, for instance, like rabbit or pork. And so he does not want to partake in these prohibited meats. And so he asks the chief of the eunuchs, who is terrified because he does not want his life to be in peril if Daniel and his friends start to look weaker than all of the other men in the palace. So Daniel sets it up as a test. We hear that God has mercy on Daniel, and the chief eunuch agrees that for 10 days they can eat grains and vegetables. And he can compare their appearance to the other men at the end of that period. And sure enough, this is the first miracle in the book of Daniel. They are plumper and better looking than the men who had eaten the meat. Um, And something interesting about that word plumper That is the same word in the story of Joseph. When uh, in Pharaoh's dream, it describes the plump cows. Do you remember this? There were the plump cows, and then they're eaten by the skinnier cows. Um, So that word only appears a few times in the Old Testament. And so the connection here starts to build up that the resonances of the connections to Joseph's story. So these young men were plumper and better looking, and um, so we can see that the the point of this chapter is not um, primarily about vegetarianism, as some people take it, but instead is setting up a paradigm for the rest of the book. That if you're faithful to God, as Daniel was by refusing these needs, that God will make a way out of no way, that God will be faithful. So now in chapter 2, we have the first vision of four kingdoms. So King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that upsets him. And he wants someone to interpret it for him. So this should be reminding you again of Joseph and Pharaoh, where Pharaoh had the dream and was looking for someone to interpret. However, this is doubly challenging compared to Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. Because King Nebuchadnezzar is not just asking for the interpretation, but for someone to also recount the dream. So he isn't even going to say what he dreamed. He wants someone to come and tell him both the contents of the dream and the interpretation. So you can see the panic in all of the magicians and sorcerers of the land at this point. So they say, there is no man on earth who can tell the word of the king because no great and powerful king has asked a thing like this of any soothsayer or wizard or Chaldean. And the matter that the king has asked is grave. There are no others who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So you can see there it starts to raise a question of, is there a god who makes his dwelling among flesh? and pointing even to the incarnation of Jesus. And so the king demands that all of the sages, and that includes Daniel and his friends, should be killed, because he is so upset that they will not tell him his dream and interpret it. And so Daniel hears about it at this point from the executioner, that this is what's going on, when he's trying to figure out why is it that we're all being killed. And so Daniel and his friends pray for God to reveal the mystery to him. 
And in a night vision, God reveals the dream and the interpretation. And then Daniel says a prayer of thanks. May the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and strength are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. Takes kings away and raises kings up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who know discernment. He lays bare the deep and hidden things. And he knows what is in darkness, and light dwells with him. So this dream was of a giant statue that was made up of different types of metal, or different types of material, really. There's gold at the head, and then the chest and arms are silver, the thighs are bronze, the legs are iron, and then the feet are a mix of iron and clay. And then this statue is struck by a stone that was not hewed by human hands, and that shatters the statue. And Daniel provides the interpretation that this is a dream about the coming kingdoms. So the current kingdom is the head, and then the coming kingdoms are each of the different layers of the body. But that all of those kingdoms will be destroyed by the future coming kingdom of God, which will never be destroyed. To another people it shall never be abandoned. It shall shatter and put an end to all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And after hearing this dream and the interpretation, King Nebuchadnezzar praises Daniel's God, calling him the God of gods and the master of kings and revealer of mysteries. However, we see very quickly in chapter 3 that that does not stop him from immediately erecting an idol to another god. And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up this idol, and he says that when the horns play, everyone should worship that idol. And whoever does not will be cast into the furnace of burning flames. So the Chaldeans told the king that there are some Jewish men who were not worshiping the idol when the horns were going off. So Nebuchadnezzar said that those men should be brought to him. And said, if you do not worship, you will at once be thrown into the furnace. And who is this God who can save you from my hands? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say that their God is able to save them, and that even if God does not, they will not worship the statue. They are willing to die rather than to worship an idol. So just like in chapter 2, where the, level, where the miracle of dream interpretation was kind of next level from the prior miracles of dream interpretation that we've seen with Joseph, This is also a next-level miracle. What I mean by that is that the king decides to stoke the fire seven times hotter than it was before. And the king asked that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be bound so that there's no chance they can escape. And they were thrown into the fire with all of their many layers of clothing. The text describes each piece of clothing just to show how quickly they would catch fire and how there's no way they could escape. And we hear even that the furnace is so hot that when they are thrown into the furnace, the people who were throwing them in are burnt and killed immediately. So they're thrown into the fire, and then the king looks in and is astounded because there are four men seen walking unbound in the fire. And the fourth is like a son of man. 
So that should be a familiar term that you recognize because Jesus refers to himself 80 times in the Gospels as the Son of Man. And that term is, is not a new term in the Old Testament. We've seen that in Ezekiel and in some other places as well. However, in Daniel, that Son of Man starts to take on a bit of a different quality, a messianic quality. And we see it here as well as, again, in a few chapters in chapter 7. And here there's a sense that there is an angelic being, or maybe even God himself, present with those three men in the fire. So when they're asked to come out, the miracle is highlighted even further by the fact that the rope binding them had burned, but the fire did not singe their clothing or their hair. It says that they didn't even smell like fire. So after this miracle, Nebuchadnezzar praises God again and says his signs, how great they are, and his wonders, how powerful. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion for all generations. So then in chapter 4, it starts with Nebuchadnezzar speaking directly, and he sees this dream that frightens him. There was a tall tree, and a divine being appears, called a holy watcher, or a holy emissary. And that divine being calls to cut the tree down, but to leave one of the roots. And so the messenger in the dream says that this is so that the living may know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of man. To whom he wills, he gives it. And the lowliest of men he shall raise up over it. So this human dominion is transient, but that God rules over all of the kingdoms. So at this point... King Nebuchadnezzar, he trusts that Daniel can interpret his dream because the spirit of the holy gods dwells in him. So Daniel hears this dream and is terrified. It says that he was astounded for an hour and his thoughts panicked him. And that's because the meaning of the dream was not good for the king. And it included that he would be banished and eat grass like the ox. And it says that as soon as Joseph and as soon as um, Daniel, rather, interprets that dream to him, this immediately happens to him. And so the king, for seven years, is eating grass like an ox and is having um, some sort of mental breakdown as well. And so at the end of the seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar blesses God and at that point is restored to his greatness and has fully learned his lesson, praising God and glorifying the God of heavens, who can bring low those who go out in pride. So this is followed immediately by another royal message. However, the king has changed. So now we have King Belshazzar, not to be confused with Daniel's Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. And so King Belshazzar has this great feast. And he says to bring out the vessels that were taken from the temple. Remember in chapter 1 that the Babylonians had taken these vessels from the temple. And he wants these vessels so that they can drink out of them in this great feast. And so then at this sumptuous feast, there are all of these nobles drinking out of the holy vessels. And while they are doing it, 
they are praising idols. They are praising gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And in the midst of all of this, this is a very strange moment in the story. A disembodied hand appears. So like a zombie hand just comes out in the middle of this feast and starts writing on the walls. And so the king panics, as you would if a zombie hand starts writing something on the wall. And the king asks for all of the magicians, all of the Chaldeans, the diviners to come in. And they cannot read the writing. They don't know what it says or what it means. And so the king panics again. And the queen saves the day by saying that in his father's day, kind of reminding him, there was this man in whom the spirit of the holy gods resided. And she says that he should call him Daniel. So Daniel comes in and the king says that he can wear purple and he can reign over a third of the kingdom if he can interpret this. And so Daniel calls out the pride of this king in the interpretation, who has exalted himself over the Lord of Heaven by drinking out of these holy vessels and desecrating them. And so the, the words on the wall were a play on words using the names of some ancient coins to say that God was going to bring his kingdom to an end. And Belshazzar, in a surprising moment, keeps his promise to Daniel, clothes him in purple, um, despite the really dire words of that um, that had been written. And it says that very night that he was killed and that the kingdom went to Darius the Mede, so it went to someone else. All right, so in chapter 6, this is the, the most famous part of the book of Daniel. We have Daniel in the lion's den. So Darius is in this chapter in a very high, and Daniel is serving under him as well, in a very high position in the king's court. So it says that he was one of three overseers over a many satraps. So he's kind of second in line. And Darius wants to promote him again over the other overseers, which stirs up some resentment and jealousy, as you can imagine. So they start to plot against him to see what can they do to bring him down. But they can't find any, anything actually wrong with Daniel. So it's like they were looking for the dirt on him and they couldn't find nothing. So instead, they decide to trap him through his religious practice. So they go to the king, and they convince him to make an edict that if anyone asks a petition of someone who is not the king, then they shall be thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel continued to pray three times each day, just as he had done before, and he doesn't make any attempt to hide it. And so the men who were plotting against him, they expected this. They came and saw that Daniel was not obeying the command. So they brought this to the king. And the king is horrified. He was not intending to have this affect Daniel. And so he set his mind on Daniel to save him, it says, and was striving to rescue him. But they reminded him that the people who plotted against him reminded the king that any binding edict or vow that the king issues cannot be changed. So at this point, 
the king just makes a plea to Daniel's God and says, your God, whom you always worship, will save you. And Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and a stone was rolled over the mouth of the den. And it was sealed with the king's signet so that no one would move it. So that has some resonances also of Jesus being put in the tomb and how that tomb was also sealed and how God also does an amazing thing in that tomb. So the king then goes and feasts on behalf of Daniel. And then the next day he comes out and it says that he shouts with a sad voice, asking, Daniel, servant of the living God, your God, whom you worship always, can he have saved you from the lions? And Daniel responds, My God sent his messenger, and he shut the lion's mouth. And they did not harm me, because I was found innocent before him, and also before you. Okay. So we see here again God making a way that the, the likelihood that he would have survived with all of those lions overnight um, it couldn't be imagined except for an act of God. So the king is joyful and brings Daniel up out of the lion's den. And um, in contrast to Daniel's miraculous survival, um, all of the people who had plotted against Daniel were thrown into the lion's den. And it said that they were consumed before they had even touched the bottom. And so the king issues an edict for everyone to tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom shall not be destroyed, and his dominion until the end. So, the chapter 7, um, we see a complement again to the vision of the four kingdoms that we saw in chapter 2. But there's a shift here between 6 and 7. So now it is Daniel who's the one who's having these dreams and visions, rather than being the one who's interpreting the visions of the king. So in this vision, Daniel sees four great beasts. There's one that's like a lion, like a bear, a leopard, and then a beast with iron teeth. And they are slain, and one like a son of man, remember, son of man again, came with the clouds of heaven. He reached the ancient of days and was presented to him. Dominion, glory, and kingship were given to him. All peoples and nations of every language must serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship one that shall not be destroyed. So you can hear in that very strong messianic language, this promise of the coming kingdom of God that we see fulfilled in Jesus. And so Daniel has this vision, and he is not able to interpret it himself. He needs an interpreter. So an angel comes to interpret this dream for him about four kings that will rise up, the last of which will be very fierce, but the Holy One will take possession of this kingdom. And so we see here also the beginning of this apocalyptic war that then carries on through the next visions of Daniel in chapters 8 to 12. At the beginning of chapter 8, this is where the language switches back from Aramaic to Hebrew. And in this dream, there's a ram with two horns, one that's larger than the other, and a goat that comes out not touching the ground. And it attacks the ram. 
And so the angel Gabriel interprets this dream again for Daniel and says that it's a vision of the end time and that the goat is the Greek empire conquering Media and Persia, but that a king will come and lay waste to the people and that he will be broken, but not by human hands. Then in chapter 9, Daniel is now serving under Darius. We can see there have been a lot of changes in power while Daniel has been around and interpreting, um, which reinforces the point that it is God who is really sovereign and not these kings who just cycle through. So Daniel's now serving under Darius. Um, an interesting fact about the beginning of chapter 9, it's one of the few places in the Bible that makes an explicit reference to another biblical text, indicating that it was already kind of read as a scripture at that time. So he specifically references a prophecy of Jeremiah at the beginning of chapter 9. And so Daniel cries out to God because the people have turned away. And so he has this lament that's very similar to what we've seen in the other prophets. And he calls on God to have compassion and to forgive the people. And this is one of my favorite moments in the book of Daniel. It says that while Daniel was still speaking in prayer to God, calling out for compassion, that Gabriel, the angel, interrupts his prayer. And it says that a couple times. That it was like mid-prayer. He just comes in and interrupts in order to convey wisdom to him and to tell him that he is beloved. So going to be interrupting this lament, crying out for God, because God wanted to tell Daniel that he is beloved. And then there's this prophecy following that moment where Gabriel says that there will be an anointed one who will be cut off and have nothing. And this is the moment that points towards the crucifixion of Jesus, that this Messiah who we've been learning about throughout the book of Daniel, who we've seen in triumph and glory in these other visions, that there's also going to be this, this confusing moment that that anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. And then the vision kind of continues on to this end time past past that moment, so showing that there's some kind of hope beyond the anointed one having nothing, and that the end will come like a flood, and that war will continue to the end, and then there's this confusing reference to the abomination of desolation, saying that, that, that something is going to happen in the temple that's awful. It's also called a desolating sacrilege. There are all kinds of big and confusing words to try and describe something horrible happening in the temple. Um, And it's unclear exactly what that means. Um, People have speculated that maybe what it means is that in the temple of Jerusalem, there's a new altar stone set up where pagan sacrifices were happening instead of the sacrifices to God. Maybe even sacrifices of unclean animals, like pigs. Um, Or it could be that there's a statue of a pagan god erected in the temple. Whatever it is, though, it's very bad, something awful. Um, And that's referenced by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, He he says, as Daniel mentioned, this abomination of desolation, and describes that as a sign of the end times. 
And then the visions continue. It's just one vision after another in these last chapters of Daniel. Where a figure like a man appears to Daniel, who's dressed in linen and gold. And his face is like lightning and eyes like torches. And that description is very resonant of what we then see again in Revelation, talking about Jesus coming with, that's um, just kind of glowing, but also like fearsome with these flames for eyes. And when Daniel sees that, he trembles and falls down. And the angel tells Daniel not to fear. And that he's going to describe what will happen in the latter time. So then there are some more prophecies that come about kings in Persia. And there are a lot of specific details in these prophecies about Antiochus, which is the reason that some scholars think that this may have been written actually under Antiochus. And there's this great battle between the kings of the south and the kings of the north. And it says that the angel Michael will stand over this battle to protect the people whose names are written in the book of life. And after that, speaks very directly to the resurrection, something that we'd seen just in the book of Ezekiel, um, and which is going to come into its fruition through Jesus and his resurrection. And it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And at the end, Daniel is told to rest saying that he will rise to receive his reward. So saying to Daniel that like you too will rise to this new day, saying this is something that's going to happen for everyone. One note on these last visions, there are a lot of numbers that you'll see, like different numbers of weeks and all kinds of numbers thrown out. And so sometimes people will use that to try and predict when the end will come. So trying to put together, like, oh, this many days and this many weeks, and then this happens, and then this many weeks. Um, And that question is even asked directly by one of the angelic beings in chapter 12, who says, how long till these things will come to pass? And it's telling to me that the other being who responds answers with a time, two times, and half a time. That's, that's not really an answer to the, to the question. Um, I, I find it really a way to say, like, it's not for us to know how long. That this isn't trying to pull together a timeline of the eschatology. Um, but instead, that at some point this will happen. So, in closing, Daniel shows the great power of God to save. And he demonstrates that both in the immediate with God's rescue of Daniel and the provision of the friends, but also God's power on the cosmic stage in the end times to raise us up from the dead into eternal life. And there's an African-American spiritual that really captures the sense of Daniel well, called Didn't My Lord Deliver Daniel. Is anyone familiar with that song? Um, And so in that song, it says, Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel, deliver Daniel, deliver Daniel? Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Then why not every man? He delivered Daniel from the lion's den, and Jonah from the belly of the whale, and the Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. Then why not every man? 
And in that song, that question of why not every man is really the question and, and the answer given by Daniel of if God can do this for Daniel, can do these miraculous wonders, then God can do that for all of us. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live, or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week, with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you, and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.